0: started with uh, fearing God for a couple of weeks. Austin, last week, talked about following Jesus. And today, we do the second part of that, uh, of this part of the study. And talking about, know, we talk about following Jesus, and this basic understanding of, we talked about the Father and our need to fear Him, and how it starts with us fearing God, and and in that fear of God, It does begin with being afraid of him, but then it moves into wanting to please him, wanting to, desiring to serve him, respect and all of him. And now out of that, we kind of have this, when you realize that God judges people and that there is no hope if he decides we are not worthy to enter into the kingdom of God. If he decides we're not worthy to be in heaven, there's no hope for us. And that's, and that's the state that the world is in. I mean, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, from that point forward, man was condemned to eternal separation from God, contem- condemned to death. And, and it's left there. Were it not for God's solution... And that solution that is preserved through Noah and through Abraham and and then through the kings and prophets and then John the Baptist comes on the scene and then uh, then Jesus comes upon the scene to say, "I am the fulfillment of that promise. I am the solution." And. He didn't ask us. He didn't come and say, all right, here, here's a list of things that you need to do. Uh, if you follow these these rules, these guidelines, these laws, he didn't do that. He said, I want you to follow me. He would walk up to people and meet people who were not necessarily, not that they weren't religious people, but, but people who weren't st- from all different backgrounds. They've been fishermen, they've been tax collectors, they could have been Jewish zealots, but whatever the case, he he, he met people, encountered people, and said, you don't know how to get where you need to go, and I do, and you just need to come with me. You need to follow me. And for 2,000 years, people who are following Jesus have been teaching other people how to follow Jesus? Someone, if you are a follower of Jesus, someone showed you how to follow Jesus. It, it, that had to happen. You didn't just wake up one day and say, "I I've figured it out." Somebody had. It's what decided. He said, "I want you to make disciples," and what that means is, is that you basically are teaching. Just like if you don't uh, if you don't know how to cook, uh, it's probably because somebody never taught you how to cook. And if you don't know how, you know, it, piano. My wife plays piano by. Ear, or heart, whatever that is, but uh, naturally I had to be I had to take piano lessons and uh, and and no bad not thinking badly about my piano teacher, but it was me. I never practiced and quit, and so i don 't play piano today, but it 's just because I started down that path, but i didn 't do the things that I needed to do in order she was trying to teach me and following Jesus like that, some of us have the it 's not about having desire it 's not about having a natural inclination it 's about Here's how we follow Christ, and you either do it or you don't. You believe it or you don't. But it's not about, and and what makes it hard is you want somebody to say it's step A, B, and C, and then that's it. And now you don't have to learn anything more, and you can go on. But it's it's a journey, and what it, that means is is that it's it's not. Uh, it's kind of like when our kids would go out and we'd be on a trail and they'd never been on the trail before and they loved to run ahead of us. I don't know if you ever take your kids out hiking when they were little. They'd love to run ahead, but they could only run ahead so far because if they lost sight of us, they wouldn't know where to go next. So they would have confidence as they had an idea, this is where we're going. And then if the trail would fork off or whatever, they'd have to stop there, wait till we caught up. And then, they, then we would say we're going this way and then they would go that direction. And that's kind of how we are with God is, is we're we're following him, but we like to jump ahead or run ahead, but we really have no idea where we're going what we're doing and and this is about this is this is why it's a challenge to follow Jesus because we 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 want to do it on our own, but we can't do it on our own and when Paul is talking to the church at Philippi he Says to them, basically, he's going to say there. Are, there's a, a few things that are keeping you from doing this very simple thing of just simply following Jesus. It's not simple for Jesus, but simple for us just to simply go. But it's not easy. And what I mean by that is, it's not. It's not that it makes it complex for us. It's just hard. It's if it were easy, if it were it were something that came naturally to us, we all be doing it. But it doesn't come naturally to us. We naturally want to go our own direction. We naturally want to put our trust in ourselves or in other things. We naturally want to be our own God, follow our own path. So that's that's where we come to. And Paul, in chapter 3 of Philippians, gives this warning to the church of Philippi about following Christ. He says, watch out. For dogs, watch out for evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I once also had confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. "...circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless, but everything that was a gain to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord." Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead, from among the dead. Pray with me. Father, we thank you, God, for your word and pray, Lord. This morning. Lord that you will help us. To see. To be honest with ourselves. Are we following you? Is. The direction we're going. The direction you are going. Is what we're doing in life. What you designed us to do. what you had planned for us to do. Does our life. And the life you have for us, do they match up? Are they the same? Or are they at odds with one another? Lord, in whatever way we are not following you this morning, may you redirect our path to where we are in step with you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul warns the church at Philippi of things that keep us from following Jesus. Because you, when you got saved, when you made the decision, Lord, I, I want to follow you. When you, said, I, when you heard the gospel and you said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Son of God, he's the Messiah, he's my hope for eternity, and he says, good, now walk this way. Now, immediately when you started to walk that way, there are people who are going to distract you from that. And Paul says, beware of people who distract you from Christ. Now, in the church of Philippi, these people were what called Judaizers. They were, uh, they were people who were, try, who were saying you had to become a Jew before you could become a follower of Jesus Christ. That to follow Jesus meant first you had to be a Jew as Jesus is a Jew. And so in order to become a Jew, you had to be circumcised. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because I don't think that's a real issue today. I have never had a Sunday school class come to me and say, hey, there's this guy in class that's telling us we all have to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. I've not had that happen in 30 years of ministry ever. I've never seen people on the street corner crying out for circumcision. Don't see that a lot. So this example doesn't really fit us today. But what I do see is this. I do see people saying... Here's something else that you need to do in order to be Christian. And you can just fill out tons of things. You need to dress this way or act this way or go to this church and not that church or read this version of the Bible and not that version of the Bible. Or you have to uh, do this much. Your prayer life has to be like this. Or you have to do these things and all different ways. We have these people in our lives that, ...take us or distract us from what it is Jesus has actually asked us to do. And whether they're trying to get us to be religious... Or they're trying to get us to do, enjoy life. People, people who come along and say, you need to get in shape. Or people along and say, you need to lose weight. Or people come along and say, you need to invest more time into this. Or you need to spend more time doing that. Or do more recreation of this. And so forth. People, all these voices of people in our lives saying, here are things you need to do. And these are things that would be good for you. And so forth. To make the most out of your life, you need to do this. Those, you know, surely you know those voices are everywhere. And the question is is Jesus saying any of that? Is is that what he wants you to do? Is that what he's called you to do? Because it doesn't matter, you know, if I tell you you need to go to this particular school and become and get this kind of job and have this type particular career or, or do these things, that only matters if that's what Jesus wants you to do. But pleasing people pleasing people can many times be in direct contradiction to what it is God is calling you to do. And sometimes those people are under four feet tall. And what I mean by that is when we were traveling, when we were missionaries, we were doing mission work over in the Middle East, when the missionaries told us, they said the greatest problem with Americans is they worship their children. They said, you don't see it till you come over here. But children dictate what people do. And not Jesus. Meaning, if we will follow Christ unless our kids don't want to, and then we won't. And it's true. We will follow Christ unless my friends don't want to, and then I won't. We will follow Christ unless my spouse doesn't want to, and then I won't. These are not options. Jesus says, I am the way truth in the life. There's no way to the father, but by me. And so what he's saying is, if you get off this path, you don't get where I'm going. And if you're not going where I'm going, you can't help other people to get there. And one thing I was I challenge parents, grandparents, people, it's like, if you are not following Christ, then you can't tell your children how to follow Christ or your grandchildren. Or your neighbors. Or your co-workers. If you're following them, you're just going to get where they're going. And if they're not going to Jesus, if they're not going where... Then you're walking down the... Everybody's going the wrong direction. It's the blind leading the blind. The whole point. I mean, that's the commission is, is that people have shown us how to follow Christ. And we have to take that and pass it on to another generation. And if we don't, it doesn't get passed on. That's why people don't follow Christ. You don't just, I mean, using the Middle East as an example, they, for years, they, um, when Islam was coming into the area, it was a predominantly Christian area, but it was just, it was Christian in name only. We, We use the term nominal Christians, just meaning they're Christians by name. But there's, they're not following Jesus. They just are called Christians. And they'll tell you, you're born Christian. If your parents are Christian and you're born to those parents, you're born Christian. And if your parents are Muslim and you're born to those parents, you're born Muslim. Well, it's illegal to convert. You can convert a Christian to Islam, but you can't convert a Muslim to Christianity. And that's how it went from being a 90% Christian nation... Christian nations across North Africa to 99% Muslim. They taxed people for being Christian, and they didn't tax people for being Muslim. And that's all it took. It took 800 years, but it worked. And that's because people really weren't following Jesus. They were distracted from Christ. Beware of people. Look what he says in verse 2. He says, watch out for dogs. Watch out for dogs. This, those Dogs are an expression for people, unclean people, people outside of God's will. People who are estranged from God. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. So he's not just talking about Judaizers. He's saying, watch out for people who are pagans, who don't know God, and are trying to get you not to know God. Watch out for people who are just evil, who love to do evil things, who do, love to sin. And watch out for people who are religious to the point that they're going to seduce you down. They're going to try to convince you that you have to work for your salvation. And so you're spending your time working for your salvation rather than doing what it is Jesus put you here to do. So beware of people who distract you from Christ. And then the second thing he talks, he moves right into, is he's, he says, you need to let go of the works that distract you from Christ, the things that you're doing. That means that. Already people have gotten into your life and somewhere in your life you picked up habits. You may have done some of it on your own. May have been other people that have introduced it, but you've got habits or hobbies or things that you do. It could be sinful activities, whatever it is, anything that distracts you from what it is God wants you to do in following Jesus. Jesus has a life he wants you to live. And you're like, I know he wants me to do this, but I have this Now, here. This is. And again, please understand, whenever a preacher's preaching, we're not not capable of saying, I don't ever do this. And this is one of those things, definitely, I do it. But you do it too, so we're going to all talk about it. And what we do is we say these things. I would love to do this. Whether it be volunteer for vacation Bible school, be a part of a Bible study, go on a mission trip, fill in the blank. Be a part of a service organization or volunteer at this thing or attend Sunday school or come to church every Sunday. Whatever it is, we say, I, I would love to do that, but I've got this going on. Now, stop for just a second. I hope, just pay attention to what we're doing. What we're saying is, is we're implying That I believe this is what God would want me to do, but I have another obligation. Now, we had to figure something out really quick. What is it that we're supposed to do to please and honor God? Because it could be this, absolutely. God could want you to do this. He could say, I I want you to go to the lake, or I want you to spend time with your family, or I want you to go on vacation. All these, none of those things are bad. But it either is what Jesus wants you to do or it isn't. So if somebody says, hey, can you volunteer for Vacation Bible School? Don't say, I I really want to, I really think I should, but. Because what you're saying is, I'm purposefully going to disobey God and not do that. To do this. And that doesn't make any sense. Because what we're saying to the world, we're saying to everybody is, I I know I should follow Jesus, I'm just not going to. What you need to, to say is, is that. I think Jesus, whether you say it out loud or whether you say it in your heart, you say, I don't think Jesus wants me to do that because Jesus wants me to do this. And if you can't say that in your heart, well, guess what? You need to let it go. If there's something, I mean, you need to think about it and pray about it and discern. What is it that Jesus wants you to do? But we've gotten such in a habit of, I'm going to make this person happy or I'm going to make this person happy I'm going to make me happy. We think that God's will is nebulous. Like it doesn't, it can't be really specifically applied. Like either one could be good. If that's true, then say that. I think Jesus has given me the choice between doing what you're asking me to do and doing what my wife is asking me to do. And guess what? I'm going to choose what my wife is asking me to do. That's what I'm going to do. That's how I've come to that conclusion. But don't, don't fall into the trap of not taking the time to discern what it is Jesus wants you to do. Know the will of God and then do the will of God. Know the step that Jesus would want you to take and then do what Jesus. And if you can't admit it's just because you're too weak to do it, you know, I that's absolutely a real thing. I know that God would have me to go to my neighbor and share the gospel. Or I know that God would have me to go to that co-worker and say that I'm sorry. Or I know that God would have me to stop watching this TV show. But I'm just too weak to do it. And pray for me. Pray that God would give me the strength to do the right thing. Because at least then you're identifying I'm not doing what God would have me to do. And I need to repent and do what God would have me to do. But don't convince yourself that the, everything we're doing is walking on the path that Jesus at, Or it's okay not to walk on the path. Don't allow ourselves or convince ourselves to say it's okay not to follow Jesus. Because it's not. There's no, nowhere in God's word he says, you don't want to follow me? That's cool. It's all right. No big deal. You do what you want to do. Remember the rich young ruler who came? to Jesus and said, "Um, I want to follow you. What do I got to do to get into heaven? Same thing. And says, I keep the law, do all the commandments, do everything. And Jesus said, well, there's one thing you need to do. You need to sell everything you have and, and you need to follow me. And then I was like, What? What? Look at what he says in verse 3. For we are the circumcision. For we are the circumcision, meaning that we're, we don't have to be circumcised. We are, we are the people of promise. It's not about what we do to the flesh. He said, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God boast in Christ Jesus. Do not put confidence in the flesh. Do not put confidence in the flesh. He said, we don't put faith in what we're doing. There was a guy who had a ministry at a nursing home, and he was taking oxygen and donating it to the residents of the nursing home. And, and when the, this pastor was doing a ministry there, he said, he said, so why do you do this? And he said, well, he goes, you know, it doesn't hurt because I, I could use all the help I, you know, need all the help I can with getting in good with the guy upstairs so that, you know, And basically what it came down to, he felt he was going to heaven because he was donating oxygen to these residents of the nursing home. That was his plan. That's his gospel. Donate some oxygen. Do something good. Go to heaven. He was putting confidence in his flesh, confidence in what he was doing. And don't think we don't do that. Don't think we don't feel like it's okay. Think about this. I'm going to miss church next week. I'm not going to miss church. I'm just using an example. I'm going to miss church next week. We have that thought. I'm going to miss church next week. I'm not going to be there. But it's okay because I went all these other times. What are we doing? We're putting our confidence in the flesh. Like God's in heaven going, okay, you have three Sundays off because you put in 49 other ones or whatever. As if he's keeping a tally. It doesn't have anything to do with whether you come to church 49 of the times a year. It has to do with, are you where Jesus wants you to be right now? You could be in this room and not be where Jesus wants you to be. And that's still disobedience. And if you came here knowing that Jesus didn't want you to be here, then you're putting confidence in the flesh and not in the spirit of God. And he says, although I once had confidence in the flesh, Paul's saying, I used to be that guy. And then he says, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Look what he says. I was circumcised the eighth day, which means he was a very good Jew of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew born of Hebrews, meaning he is a pedigree person regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. I I remember my first church. Wow, I made so many mistakes at that church. I had a lady in my church who... Uh, scared me to death because she had a gun in her person. I knew she had a good person. She sat on the second row and I kept watching those hands because she'd get mad at me and I'm like, can you show me your hands (laughs) just for my own confidence sake? But anyway, because she would just go off on me because we were just battling back and forth. She didn't like the things I was doing and I didn't like her very much. And so, uh, but we... So we go back and forth, and uh, I, I remember she said, she got up and said something in the service one time just trashing me. It, I said, during the invitation, I made the mistake, which I don't ever make again, because you're wondering why I don't do this. Says so does anybody have anything they want to share? And she said, I got something I want to share, and then went on to say everything I was doing wrong as pastor. I went to her house and said, you know, you shouldn't do things like this. And I shared a passage of scripture with her. She called the deacons. I had a deacon with me. She called the other deacons and said, that preacher came out here and said, I need to have a millstone hunger around my neck and be thrown into a well. Well, she met me at the church one day and she said, do you know who I am? And I said, who are you? And and she said, well, she goes, I've been in this church for X number of years, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I happen to know that you were Methodist and became a Baptist. I was born a Baptist, (laughs) raised by Baptist for multiple generations. Don't do that. Because in the eyes of God, it doesn't matter. But it's so tempting. When our flesh, we feel we get lured into thinking that our flesh is good. And then we begin to put confidence in the things we've done or in the things we're doing. And when we do that, we are no longer following Christ. We're on our own. Do not. Anything you have that distracts you from Christ, let it go. And if I finally, pursue Christ alone. Pursue Christ alone. $1.6 billion. I throw that number out there, and I guarantee the bulk of this group knows what I'm referring to. Not my assets. $1.6 billion. Now, wasn't these children, but one of my children sent me a message and said, Dad, how high does the lottery have to get before it's okay (laughs) for us to play? It really is awful to be the child of a preacher. (laughs) And you know, she said it, everybody thinks it. Here's the problem. It's not about playing the lottery. And some of you sinned, and I am guilty of it, without ever buying a ticket. Because what we did was we did this. If I had $1.6 billion, think of what I could do. I want you to take a moment. What could you do with $1.6 billion that you can't do with Christ alone? All you can do with anything outside of Christ Is something that Christ doesn't want you to do. And here's the problem. The reason why the church is struggling today, the reason why we don't see very many people coming to Christ, is because the church itself does not believe that Jesus is sufficient for salvation. They see a church filled with people throughout the world who are desperately trying to work more, achieve more, gain more, garner more, so that we can do more. And people say this: think of all I, I would give if I had because you know after tax after you take the early payouts nine hundred something million dollars and then after taxes I don't know seven, say it's seven hundred million dollars say whatever you get yeah, have a million dollars left say oh, I'm going to tie two hundred fifty million dollars that do you believe in your heart? that God needs $250 million. Do you think that? Well, everybody says, no, I don't think that. Then why do you want it? Why do you want it? Because there's something you want that God isn't giving you. And you want it because you are not pursuing Christ alone. Because Jesus said this, anything you need, To do my will, if you ask for it, I will give it to you. He literally is saying to you, if you need $250 million, ask me. I will give it to you. If you don't get $250 million, guess what the answer is? You didn't need it. Now, my father modeled that in my upbringing. So I'm, I'm very well accustomed to that. My children will tell you, I also modeled that as they were growing up. Dad, I need $15. What do you need it for? They would tell me what they needed it for. And then I would tell them whether they really needed $15 or not. Because I would evaluate their activities. And if it didn't match their father's will, they didn't get the money. And it's the same way with my father in heaven. I say, I need this. He says, no, you don't. I guess I don't. (laughs) I'm good. But here's what this means. So just break this down. It means that we're we are stressed and anxious. And sweating and what we, we buy a house that God never wanted us to buy and now we can't pay for it. We buy a car that God never wants us to have and now we can't pay for it. We we get involved in all these different things, doing these things that God never asked us to do and now we can't afford those things. Or we or we want to do these things and we can't afford them because God's not saying. So what we we go to him and say, Look, I have all this stuff I need to do, and I can't do it because you're not giving it to me. And he's like, Yes, because it's not what I'm asking you to do. I want you to live the life I have for you, and I only want you to live that life. And not another one. I want you alone. Look in verse 7. He says, But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. Paul says, Every achievement, every degree, everything I've done, I don't want you to pursue that career. I don't want you to pursue that degree. I don't want you. I was talking to someone this week and they were saying, I, I, I'm trying to master this. I'm trying to master that. I'm like, Why? Why are, you, why are you studying all these things? And they didn't have an answer. It's like, well, figure out what God wants you to do and what you need in order to do what God wants you to do and just do that. Because that's all that's, all that's required. More than that, I also consider everything To be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything. There's no title that you can achieve that's greater than the knowledge of who Jesus is and the life that he has for us to live. There's nothing greater than that. When people put you in the ground, your titles are irrelevant it is your testimony of your knowledge of Jesus and how you followed him that will matter. And you don't need, just need to believe that for you. You need to believe it for every generation after you. We need to teach that to our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors and our friends and say you're, you're trying too hard to do something that Jesus never wanted you to do. And it won't matter. He says, because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things. He's lost everything. But here is the key. And consider them filth. See, it's one thing to lose everything and regret losing it. I lost a bunch of money and man, I missed that money. Or we lost our house, but wow, I love that house. Paul says, it's all dung to me. It's a dung heap. None of it matters. He said, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one is that is through faith in Christ. Meaning it's not me pursuing something to make myself a better person. It's just what Jesus has done. I'm just reveling in what Jesus has done for me. The righteousness from God based on faith. Not something I earned, but something that Jesus did and now applies to me through faith. He says, my Goal, my goal. Think of it. What is your goal? His goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Now, think back. To the things you're doing. Why you want that 1.6 billion dollars. Why you want that raise. Why you want that additional money. Why you want to move to that particular area. Why you want that house. Why you want that. Is your goal to know him. And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death. Assuming that I will somehow. Reach the resurrection from among the dead. It has to be Christ. Alone is the reason I want to do this. That has to be it. You're saying, well, Pastor Troy, surely God wants us to have fun or to do this or doesn't mind us watching this on TV and so forth. And I would love to say, yeah, you're right, but I'm not going to. Because that's what we've been doing for too long. We've been pacifying our minds. We've been, I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not saying God won't give it to you, but I'm not going to give it to you. Ask Him. You ask him. If he said, I'm not going to judge you. If you come to me and say, yeah, I asked him if I could watch that show. And Jesus said, yes. Great. Or I asked him if we could do this every weekend. And he said, great. Jesus said, good. I said, I'll say, great. Praise the Lord. I'm just excited. You're asking Jesus. And that's what we all have to do. We just have to make Jesus the goal. And the power of his resurrection, because I know that this life is going to end and it ends in death for all eternity, unless I know him and the power of his resurrection. And he wants, it's not just about me getting saved. He's left me here so I can pass it on to other people. And I want to pass it on to other people. There are too many people in this community that don't know the power of his resurrection, And we need to pass it on. So here's the question as we close today. What are you you putting your trust in for a better life? Is Jesus your savior? And I know you say he saved you from hell, but is he the one who's giving you the life that you desire? Are you going to have to get a job to get that? Are you going to have to have a particular career to attain that? Are you going to have to have enough schooling to get that? Are you going to have to win the lottery to get the life that Jesus wants you to have to have or the life, the abundant life that you desire? If you are pursuing a life other than the one Jesus has for you, you are not pursuing Christ alone. And friend, that is a lie of the enemy. It will not give you what you think it's going to give you. It will give you the despair that the world has. It will just simply lead to emptiness, which is what everybody in the world is doing. And if we're chasing after the same things the world is chasing after, why would they think our God is special? There's so much power. I just want you you to just think how many opportunities you have when somebody says, are you going to are you going to what would you do with one point six billion dollars? And your response is, I don't need one point six billion dollars. Because I have Jesus, and He's sufficient, and you don't—you're not joking. It's real, and you say it's real. Really, I'm honestly—he gives me everything I need. I—I I don't need anything. I'm content in Christ. Not, life's difficult, and we suffer, but you know these sufferings pale in comparison to the hope I'm going to have in glory. I'm going to live for Him for all eternity, and and I'm just now I've, I I'm. I have the joy of serving him and going to enjoy his presence forever. That's the gospel. I'm just saying, we, I don't think we're getting that message out. Jesus doesn't just want to be the most important part of your life. He wants to be your life. So let go of every distraction. Let go of every confidence you have in your own flesh and pursue him with everything that you have. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you, God, for your love and for your grace. And God, just pray that you stir our hearts. There are no perfect people in this room, Lord. Lord, I I hope that we understand we're not supposed to put confidence in our flesh. This is not about us saying, look how good we are. It's about us saying how good you are. And Lord, you, you offer to us life abundantly. And so, Lord, I pray that we'll take it and put our all of our confidence in it. Lord, I pray that today we realize that you're not trying to make our lives more difficult. You're not trying to take our vacations away. You're not trying to take our houses away. You're not trying to take our jobs away. Lord, you're you're trying to give us life and life abundantly. You're trying to take our stress away and our frustration away and our anger away and our hopelessness away trying to give us something, not rob us of something. Lord, may we receive the life that you have to give and trust that it will be a good life. We believe you when you say your way is better than the way we're pursuing. May we let go. May we stop putting faith in the world and put our faith in you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.